Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, I love returning guests because you you get teased uh, with like you get the cool stories and then all of a sudden you find out there's way more to it. Um, and so yeah. we always say, yeah, you're welcome back. And we sometimes we can get them scheduled right away. And in this case, we wanted to get uh, one scheduled right away. So who is coming back this week, Chuck? Well, so as you know, I, I am a Marine and I like to schedule Marines if they have served a lot <laughs> yeah, and do. they have a lot of good stories. They're they're fun to talk to you um, and they're not necessarily always afraid of talking unless you're someone we know who's a redhead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have Jay Blunk. Um, we have Jay Blunk on. He was just on a couple weeks ago. Um, he was in, uh, in the invasion. He talked about being embedded with or having a CBS crew embedded with them. And he has got some more stories from his years of service. So we're going to yeah, 12 years, right? And... Uh, yes, sir. 12 years, yeah, tw- 12 yeah. years, man. Now remind yeah. us again, uh, you, um, give for the audience that maybe is, it didn't hear your first episode. Just give a, a little reader's digest of your uh, service. If you can. Uh, yeah, 12 years, uh, 95 to 07. Spent some time with 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, uh, School of Infantry on the East and West Coast, uh, Light Armored Reconnaissance Battalion on the East and West Coast. Ugh, Camp Geiger um, sucks. It, yeah, Camp Geiger was no fun. Um, yeah. Uh, 03 in the invasion. And... Like you said, had had an embedded CBS crew with us for uh, from Kuwait all the way to Babylon. Yeah. So yeah, it's all the adventures wild. in between. And yeah, it's pretty crazy. <clears throat> I just can't um, get out of my head the fact that you would drive by yourself with an a, with yeah. a, either an A driver or an A gunner, and the CBS dude every night by yourself through area that you had just just that day punched a hole through. Dude, yeah, wartime. Yeah. Like this is not safe. <laughs> Right. No, it, it was it was every night for for that first yeah almost thirty days that we were we were pushing and we were in we were in mop three the whole time too. I don't know if I mentioned oh, that or fuck. if you had ever oh, heard no, that the didn't. entire invasion no. yeah. invasion force was in mop three. We all had our mop suits on, boots on, taped up, gloves oh, in our shit. cargo pocket. Yeah, absolutely. Well, was, at that time, you guys were still really worried about WMDs and gas and all that stuff, right? Oh, uh, yeah, we were and. I mean, even at one point, uh, like a local, I don't even know who it was, came up and told someone in a, in a Marine unit that there were weapons of mass destruction buried in a schoolyard. And with, within, I'd say, you know, a few days, they had equipment there and they, they dug up this schoolyard and found nothing. But the entire kid's playground was all dug up and unusable after that. <clears throat> now... <clears throat> I have, and there's probably a bunch of, you know, uh, hypotheses running around now. And in, in, in my belief, I believe that there was weapons of mass destruction there. I think it was a goat rope, though, and people getting pulled around and we were able to act on it fast enough. Um, or the intelligence came in and it was all like, you know, smoke and mirrors types of things where they're giving them enough, but not giving them everything. What do you think? What is your opinion on that? Do you think there were, in fact, weapons of mass destruction? 
inside of a rack or do you think that there once was and then they moved them out very quickly and then there wasn't any um i guess my opinion probably the latter we never seen any weapons of mass destruction the only weapons that we ever seen were weapons that we had bought them to fight iran loaded into houses right Right. floor to ceiling every room just not just stacked weapons toes rockets rpgs um but weapons of mass destruction i we never seen any of that stuff um seen a lot of rice that the americans bought for vietnam to get dispersed to iraq found a lot of that um, in warehouses unused wow yeah um but no we we never seen any type of weapons of mass destruction not at all so what i'm always curious about and um Here's the thing. First of all, just because we didn't find any doesn't mean there weren't any. Now, I'm not saying there were, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, realistically speaking, we we have been known to miss stuff. <laughs> I personally uh, know of a dope cop that I worked with. She, I wasn't there for this, famously <coughs> served a search warrant on a house, and the targets had moved out of the house before she served the search oh, warrant. Fuck on the dope house. Um, now that was a case of failing to do your due diligence, right? If you have, if you have enough to get a search warrant, you should probably make sure it's freshened up and that your targets still live there right uh, before you smash an empty house. And you know, I've seen it on the other end of the spectrum where you serve the thing. People are there. There's assholes Mm -hmm. everywhere. You get them all in custody and, and it's a house. It's a small house. And, People aren't found. Dope isn't found. And then it takes the dogs to come through and the dogs almost miss it. And finally, they find some dude balled up in a fucking corner underneath a bed with a trap door or a false bottom. And this dude's hiding there. Now we're talking about a whole country, right? A whole country. It's not like a small house. So could things get missed? Yeah. Well, and also things could get moved to Iran. That's that's kind of what happened. We went there looking for the dope (laughs) and we found a guy laying in a hole in the ground <laughs> you're right that's true <laughs> after everyone missed him you know, everyone so, missed him yeah that's, that, that's that played true. out in real life and the military and police work so much like each other i'm hussein yeah. um so i i just i find it interesting that um you know there, there's people that are like there are 100 percent were weapons of mass destruction we just missed them they just moved them and then there's people who are like we were 100 percent lied to and there were never weapons of mass destruction and the government knew it and no, usually the people that say that stuff are people that are have that have never been in a position to look at any sort of classified intel whatsoever and have no business making those pronunciations or pronouncements at all. So I like the people like me that say, yeah, could they have been there? Absolutely. Could the intel have been good? Absolutely. Did we yeah. maybe miss them or did they get moved? Sure. Could the government have lied to us just to get us to go back and smash Saddam Hussein and get him out of power? And yeah, all those things can be true. You know? (laughs) Um, Yeah, they they, they could. Yeah. I I, I, I stopped worrying about it a long time ago. During the invasion, I think we were more focused on, I think weapons of mass destruction was there, um, like in the back of our minds, because it was mentioned so many times. Sure. Um, But we were more focused on what we were doing. Um, we had 19 years after that to look for them. And I never heard anything after that. You know, right. the WMDs just, 
kind of went away. Kind of like COVID just kind of went just away. Just kind of went away. Well, and right. that also is like, um, if you, so if we miss them, they're not going to tell you that, right? No. If we find them later, they might not tell you that either. Um, it, you know, far be it from our government to hide things from us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So I, I, I just, I find that whole debate at this point to be amusing until, uh, you know, until you're getting to the place where you are with like JFK and, and MK Ultra and some of these other things that were always like deeply classified. And then the, and, and we still don't know, right? They declassify and release documents they want to declassify and release. That doesn't mean that's everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we only get I mean, the stuff they, they, they release want us to like have. what they want. Yeah, exactly. They they do. Um, and and I think that when they release it is important too. Like whatever else is going on, they release right. it to, to distract us from the real point. Okay, yeah. yeah. There's UFOs. Look at these UFOs over here. Look yeah. at the UFOs. Don't, don't pay no attention to the left hand. Look at the right hand. Look at the right yeah. hand. <laughs> yeah. Look at it's, look at uh, the UFOs you've wanted all this time. Watch any um, Pen Penn and Teller explanation of a magic trick when they explain what misdirection is and how they can tell you you're being misdirected and they can still accomplish perfect misdirection while telling oh, yeah. you that's exactly what they're doing and you'll know how the government works and you go, there was wait, a, okay. do it again do it again one more time exactly one more time again. one more time there was a i think his name was dom herrera and i don't know why that name sticks out to me but he was a stand-up comedian and he was talking about this is way back in the iran contra days and he was talking about how um that the united states the way the if you he was summing up how he's like for those of you who don't know this is how it works. Imagine if the U.S. goes over to one side of the spectrum and goes, hey, uh, you guys want to buy some guns from us? And they're like, yeah, we sell them some guns. And then we walk across the street to their enemy and we're like, hey, um, you guys want to pay for some information about your your enemy? And they're like, yeah. So they pay us and we're like, they have some guns. And, and then we walk back across the street to the guys who sold the guns to and we're like, um, I think he knows about the guns, man. And we end up, he basically said that the U.S. is the three-card Monty dealer in the arms race to third world countries. And, I mean, yes, he's being flippant and he's a stand-up comedian. But I firmly believe stand-up comedians are much like our philosophers of old, where they use humor to point out truisms. And if you don't think... There, you look at uh, you look up Barry Seal. If you know guys don't know who he is, I know I've talked about him on this show. He was a pilot who was simultaneously running guns and dope for the CIA while being targeted and hunted by the DEA, <laughs> and died in a cart in Louisiana while under federal indictment from gunshots by cartel hitman hitmen and strangely had vice president or former president george w george hw bush's phone number in his pocket right like the former head of the caa george bush that guy right so if you don't think that we're doing shady shit all over the world you haven't been paying attention so as far as the wmd debate i think that that kind of i chalk it up to that which is we don't know what we don't know and we won't know it until they decide to tell us what they want us to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, but people have to ask, you know, we, we well, right. you know, I, I think they get to the point where, you know, we're not asking anymore. We're just kind of happy it's over and we can think about being woke now instead of being at oh, war. God. 
Right. The accountability God, problem. <clears throat> yeah. So <clears throat> let me tell you something about wokeness and how it's affected schools and this toxic masculinity. Now, when we were Wait, in middle school. Locker room or war stories? <laughs> this is this is war stories, but this is this is pertains no, to this. I get it. <clears throat> the and when we were in middle school, we that's where we found ourselves kind of like and kind of like what our style was. I mean, by eighth grade, I was kind of still going through like a punk phase. By high school, ninth grade, I kind of like had it figured out kind of a little bit for high school. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> went to my daughter's school the other day, yesterday to be exact, and the amount of I don't know if this is the correct word, sis or sissy or whatever boys I saw, like soft boys. Well, sis means like biological male, but I think you're talking about. Oh, soy I boys. don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah, soy boys. Like this is a fucking feminine boy look. And I was like, holy fuck, where are like the kids wearing like punk and like, where's the like the goth kids and all this crazy shit? I am not seeing any of them. I'm just a lot of this soft looking, dye my hair, wear girl jean type of things and talk in a lisp type of yeah. soft voice anyways that is a little bit more locker room but i just figured it it was kind of just wow like the wokeness is just yeah, it's gone too far is, yeah we need sure. some stronger stronger folks so yes. now aside from punching holes through uh enemy lines with a cameraman um Let's. I would. I want to get into some of the other stuff. Like we had, uh, we had a couple of guys way, way back in the early days of the podcast that talked about the it, it, for the invasion of Iraq, and uh, we famously got told that um, one of our buddies who who uh, is a marine he he had seen a cart being pulled by a donkey and the donkey was on fire while it was pulling the cart. You know, and the, just the crazy stuff that people saw um, when you go into you know, when you do a full scale invasion. So I'm, I'm really anxious just knowing that you were there for the, for the initial phases of it. Yeah. To hear some of that. Uh, part of um, one of the things I wanted to correct, I think last time I had mentioned uh, a decommissioned LAB um, is actually out in front of first LAR. It's on Camp Lejeune. I think I might've said it was in front of second LAR. Um, and it, that doesn't really matter. Maybe only one or two people that listen would even know what I was talking about, but it is in no, but uh, I get it. Details matter, and you, yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. Swamp Things LAV is in Camp Lejeune mm -hmm. uh, at yeah. First LAR. Um, yeah, one of the uh, before we had left the LSA to uh, to head into Iraq, I got a uh, I got contacted by Kirk. He said that uh, the cameraman that John Roberts and a couple of the engineers went into Kuwait City uh, to take care of some business, and they're stuck at a checkpoint. And so he got me the grid to the checkpoint. And me and him, my driver and my, my gunner, we took off to this checkpoint and there was car, cars lined up at the checkpoint for miles. And this, uh, black SUV was maybe the third car back. And I pulled up and I said, Hey, that, that vehicle needs to come with us. And whatever NATO forces or Iraqi forces that were there, I think their orders were nobody gets through no matter what. And I'm like that, that car's coming with me. And they kept saying, no, no, no. And, I walked over to my gunner and I said, I need you to traverse onto that guard tower. So he traversed the turret <laughs> over the guard tower and he made, he, he charged the 50 cal twice. And as soon as he did, he's okay. Okay. Mister. Okay. Okay. And then they let the, <laughs> they let the SUV come through. <laughs> and, and then we pulled up about a mile past the checkpoint and pulled over and Kirk's like, I'll be right back. And he got out of his, he got out of our vehicle and got into the SUV. 
uh, a couple seconds later, he comes back and he's got two big McDonald's bags in his hand. What? And oh, brings them yeah. into the Humvee. And we've been eating MREs for almost two months now. And we got some McDonald's from Kuwait City. Oh, oh you're going to be able to shit. Six Big Macs, just large fries, just 32 ounce sodas. And that must have been amazing. Uh, it tasted, we, we sat in the vehicle, ate every bit of it, and we're driving back. I'm like, dude, you, oh, oh, here we go. Guts. The bubble guts. <laughs> it's going to clear like, you out. <laughs> let's go. Oh, my God. I got back. I needed a fuck mag. I needed toilet paper. I'm hitting the shitter. <laughs> and man, it was hot in there. But I'll tell you what. 30 days worth of MREs gone. I felt like a new man. You felt but like, yeah, just to, you were probably 10 pounds some, lighter too. Uh, but it was, it was so worth it just to, to taste something else and, uh, you know, a burger fries, whatever, just something different from MREs. That was, that was quite the experience. We had to make sure we got rid of all the trash before we went back. We didn't need <laughs> anyone to see that we had McDonald's. Right. Um, but, so uh, I want to explain to people, if you really want to know the experience that uh, he's talking about, go get um, those like backpacking meals, right? The the pre-made backpacking meals, right? You can go get MREs if you want, um, yeah, but you can buy them. You can go get backpacking meals. Just it's easy. Go to go to any outdoor store and get the little pre-made backpacking meals that are in, you know, a little brick and just eat those for a month. Nothing but those for a month. Do not allow yourself to eat anything else and then have like the <laughs> shittiest tap water you've ever had. In fact, go get your water out of the gutter, right? And drink that for a month. Then order a Big Mac and fries and see how you feel. Then you'll understand what he's talking about. <laughs> our, our You're going to go into like diabetic shock. Go into the field. A lot of times for a long week, usually our first stop after that was was at Taco Bell. It was usually because that would yeah. get rid of all the field out of you and you could get back to your life. But <laughs> Fuck. yeah, it's so brave. Um, but yeah, um, there was one evening we were there and we kind we, we stopped. We seen a guard tower uh, on a road and everyone herringboned. You know, one vehicle to the left, one vehicle to the right. We're all kind of pulled off to the road on 45. And it was just after sundown. And one of the vehicles reported a a possible landmine uh, next to his vehicle. So now, now we're stuck because we think we're, we're sitting in a, in a minefield and our, our point vehicles are talking to the guard tower and they start using psyops to repeat over and over again in Arabic surrender or we're going to kill you over and over and over again and they never did come out to us i, I think at, at some point they might have just ran away from the guard tower but we sat there all night thinking we were in a minefield until the next morning and someone stepped out of their vehicle and and inspected it and it was a dinner plate upside mm. down oh <laughs> next to one of the vehicles um but it was an interesting night thinking that thinking that you're sitting in a minefield. And there were a lot of minefields out there. There were. So it, it wasn't tracks, outside of the realm of possibilities. No, because tracks had to go in and clear a bunch of them with their uh, Miklicks mm-hmm. on their vehicles. Yeah. those. That was the first time I ever saw one of those. And it was pretty impressive what it would do. Oh, yeah? Dude, you know, that's yeah, my vehicle. That is. Have you ever seen one, Tom? 
No. It's it's got a like a large truck, but if you can imagine a a big green bathtub on the truck bed and it launches oh out this this sausage looking torpedo. Just Yeah. <laughs> and it's about like I don't know if it's a hundred yards long, but it'll land and then it and it clears, it'll clear a four lane highway. Of, yeah, uh, I've heard of him. I've just never actually seen him. <clears throat> well, I've, I've never seen him in action because I've never, you know. It's seventeen hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, of C four attached to a rocket, and I want to say it's because this is my vehicle. I I drove a track. I commanded a track uh, that had three rockets in the back. Um, the the doors would open up in the back of the track. Yeah, uh, hydraulic rockets would come up. Kind of like a Sam, kind of like a Sam Terror tower or turret, like on a Call of Duty. But there's only three of them, and it opens up. This thing pops out. You get to your your perfect like 45 degrees, and then you shoot. And I want to say it's a hundred and hundred twenty or hundred and fifty. I'm looking um, it up right now. Okay, I, I fucking do my 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 uh, tracker's disservice right now since I was a a, a a crew chief on this vehicle. But it's been a it's been a, a decade, so. I do know it's 1,750 pounds of C4 attached to a rocket. 1,750 pounds of C4, man. In just one one tub. So there's three tubs. So one tub and a rocket, 1,750 pounds of C4. And it goes boom. Once it lands, you charge it. You say it's all clear, and you fucking detonate. And the funny thing is, is you have to hold a button and then detonate it because you can't let go of the button. And so many times guys get so fucking amped up and they're just like, boom, they let go. And you have to recharge mm-hmm. it and then fucking hit the button. And then when that thing goes off, dude, you feel that shockwave for like a fucking mile. Like it hits you in oh, the yeah. chest and you're like, yeah, oh, it's fuck. 1,700 pounds of C4. Yeah, it's fucking wild. And um, I want to say it's uh, 20, 120, uh, 120 meters um, of line, 20 meters of safety safety line. And the rest is all like 100 meters of, of uh explosive c4 yeah yeah which looks like a sausage 100 100 meters of explosive c4 if if i do shit 100 meters is basically 300 feet right is roughly converting it so you're talking about like 300 feet you're talking about like what six or six pounds or so of c4 per foot I believe you. I don't do math in public. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. I don't know how it works yeah. out to, but it's like little these little bricks. And it yeah, looks like this big yeah. like yeah. Tampon six pounds sausage. of C four per foot. And I mean, I mean, let's. I mean, Beautiful. silly. Basically, you've got silly putty, and then you've got serious putty, which is also called C four. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. That's I, one of the things that that we talked about last time. Um, you were talking about how fast <laughs> you were moving. In that invasion, uh, and right. how you can only move as fast as your supplies, and and that that absolutely came into play uh, in the invasion. That especially with uh, LAR, um, they were they they move faster than any other vehicle on the you know in the battlefield. We were we got to the point where they were only getting us ammo. Every time <laughs> we would catch up to the trains, we would load up and then leave, and it was down to one MRE a day per vehicle that we were oh, yeah. eating for like the last three weeks. One MRE so, a day per vehicle. Yeah. You yeah. lose weight and you still can't shit. Yeah. 
dude. It, yeah, I just it I wanted the pound up. cake or the or the M and M's. You guys can have everything else. Um, yeah. but yeah, one MRE a day, um, one bottle of water per vehicle a day. Why we were in Mop Three? Uh, why we were many moving? Days? And that uh, probably the last uh, maybe about three weeks that that we were in that situation, and we we had the humanitarian rations. They're like an MRE on steroids. Mm, well, those things um, are massive, dude. We had we had cases of those in the back, mm-hmm. and we're feeding the Iraqi civilians as we're going through. But we were ordered not to eat them; we couldn't consume them. The the meals, the, not the Iraqis. And anybody that doesn't understand the heart of the American veteran, serviceman, servicewoman, doesn't understand that you're talking about men and women that are willing to eat share. No, it's not eat, but share one shitty fucking MRE among them while distributing way better food to the local population because they are ordered to do that. Yes, sir. Yeah. A lot of times we try to hand it to a kid or a family and you'd see a military aged male come running through and snatch it out of their hands and take off running. Oh, yeah. It was everything you could do not to draw your weapon but it wasn't right. a time or place that like you just hand the kid another one and go about your business. Move on. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's, but it was, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying that's, I think those are the things that, you know, people don't quite get is it's not just about um, seeing combat necessarily. It's all, it's about seeing humanity suffering. It's about seeing, you know, things that you, it's about seeing bad guys that need to have shit done to them and being told no, you know, it's Mm -hmm. about following orders. It's about suppressing your urges to do Mm -hmm. what you know is right. And take that food away from him and give it back to this little boy and going, well, that's, I, I can't, you know, that frustration it's the same thing with police officers when you see a guy that needs to get arrested for beating his wife or, or you know, he's going to rape somebody or whatever, and you don't do it. And you can't do it because you don't have enough probable cause or you don't have enough evidence or you don't have enough for a search warrant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, while we were in Iraq, one of the things I wanted to mention uh, last time was was the fact that the Marine Corps made history in that at that time in 03. Um, as I understand it, it was the furthest inland that the Marine Corps has ever operated um, outside of naval support. Oh, wow. Um, well, and, I didn't even think it, about and, that. That would make sense. And and the second one was um, for the first time since since World War II, since the Marines were, were coined Tufelhundens uh, by the Germans, um, uh, LAR was named by the enemy the one that destroys they had never seen an lav before so they they called them the destroyers and it, yeah. it translated into the one that destroys so on the v on the side of all the lavs in arabic was written the ones that destroy and the destroyers became the name of second lar after that nice yeah so it was like the the first time since world war ii that a marine corps unit was named by the enemy I think wow. enemy nicknames are cooler than your own nickname. Like, like if that's it, uh, yeah. like the Navy SEALs were called uh, the ghosts with green faces or something in Vietnam when they were first becoming into existence. You know, like that shit is cool. You know, 
I like yeah. That. I mean, when your when your buddies give you nicknames, there's usually some weird context behind it. But when the enemy right. gives you a nickname, it's you know because you're scary and you killed them or right exactly exactly a little bit different behind it. But uh, but yeah, it was that was just it was interesting to be a part of that. And now when I got back, it was funny. I seen these. They made these. Uh, you know the 12 inch GI Joe dolls. Sure. That you yeah. like the older ones. They they have they have one for Task Force Tarawa. And they really? got one for that in, they went yeah, that specific. Got one, oh yeah. Task Force Tarawa and the um the first Marine Expeditionary Unit, the first the first Mew has one. And he's literally in Mop three, got a little teeny gas mask with him, all the accessory kits. Yeah, they're great. They're that's cool. If I can find a picture of it all. I've got two of them at home. But yeah, it's like the action figures from that invasion. That you know that makes sense though. Is like you you, I mean in a way it's propaganda, but it's also morale. It's you know to integrate and to to make people, you know, support is to say okay you know hey boys and girls you're seeing this on the news you too can play with GI Joe who's in the first MEU. It's it's kind of brilliant if you think yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean it's probably more of a a collector's thing. I, I I've even got the the twelve inch Arlie Ermy. You push a little button on its back. Quick, pushing my button, ass hat. That one all his full metal jacket lines. He's he's pretty funny. But yeah, yeah here's more of a GI Joe 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit. There's like uh, Leon, and I think the other one's Adder. I think his name is First Division. Uh, in this this is a little uh, article that says the First Marine Division carried a GI Joe mascot as a good luck charm. I heard that. That's pretty cool. It's mm, cool. But, but you know what though? It's it like you were saying, enemy nicknames, GI Joe mascots. Some some units find a stray animal and adopt it, you know, and that they rally around this stray animal and if anybody goes near it or tries to touch it or mess it up, they're just they come unglued, you know. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 amazing to me, you know, the things that you'll find to boost morale or rally behind or 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 a cause that you'll take up or a, a superstition that you'll start to believe in. But it's those things that you, you'll remember for the rest of your life too. Oh, absolutely. I, I was thinking about this the other day when, when we were leaving uh, Iraq, finally, you know, heading home and you, we, we still had to go through customs and I guess it's like air force customs um, and, and get it, get inspected as we're going through and someone had spent quite a bit of time um cutting all the dicks out of fuck mags and i had i don't know how many how many dicks he had cutting out of the fuck mags but we they picked a marine and every every pocket every nook and cranny that we could fit a a, a dick we did oh my god so then when we went to customs and we dump all of our stuff in our little square and the Air Force guy's going through it, every pocket he reaches his hand into, he's pulling out pictures of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> There's there just little dick pics all over the floor in front of him. And But at the same time, you know, they were pulling parts of AKs out of five-ton exhausts and weapons broken down and K-bars and gas tanks and all the trophies that everyone was trying to bring back at the time. Right. How? What's right. the craziest thing you've heard of or seen try to be brought back as a trophy? I've I've heard body parts. I've heard that's that that custom someone found a leg or an arm. The fuck? Or something like that in a bag. 
Um, everything after that was mostly just weapons that people were trying to bring back, AKs. And, or jewelry. Yeah. A body part. What are you going to do with that? You gonna, I like, don't know. You're going to have a taxidermy? Who are you going to find? First of all, who are you going to find a taxidermy at? Uh, it, it, it could have been it could have been scuttlebutt. I just you know part of that thing. Oh, I heard he heard someone had a leg. I heard maybe he you're making arm. a real leg lamp. Like like maybe. Hey man, Christmas movie. dude, I would not be so fucking. I would not be uh, surprised. Oh, I don't doubt the shit it. that yeah. Marines do because the whole time we're in you know we're in Lejeune. They're like talking about hookers, fucking dead wall lockers, and fucking coffin racks and shit like that. And when I leave. Fucking NCIS raids the barracks and they find a dead hooker. They find a fucking alligator in the fucking Wait, shit. What now? They find kilos of cocaine in the dumpster. Like, how, you, how have you never told this story? I was, I was gone, but I, I've told it. <laughs> the like, dead hooker? Like, I don't think we've talked. Yeah, we there was like hookers and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like, the, like, so I wouldn't be fucking surprised, you know, of the crazy shit that Marines do. Now, what was one? Of, now we're talking about crazy shit. What was one of the craziest things that, <clears throat> You dealt with while deployed. To I well, to Iraq. The, the first thing that was coming to my mind, I, I guess, was wasn't a deployment to Iraq, but it's strange when I say deployment. You know, as a Marine, even before we went to Iraq, we had deployments to Okinawa. You know, peaceful deployments. Right. But when you talk to another veteran, you just say deployment. They automatically assume a, a combat deployment. Right. Um, but. I mean, aside from a lot of the things that I've talked about from the deployment, um, one of my Okinawa deployments, it was actually my first one in 96. I had a squad leader, senior lance corporal, if you if there is such a thing, a senior lance corporal. Uh, and our squad leader was, was a corporal. And just a strange day, we had did what we had to do during the day, and we come back, and there's MPs at our barracks. And they wouldn't let us back in. They keep us in formation. And we just started hearing rumors. And then someone had called for all the company commanders and first sergeants to come to division. And we're on Camp Hansen in Okinawa. So the first sergeants and company commanders go over. And someone had told our first sergeant, first Sergeant Rio, say, hey, you might want to go in there and, and, and take a look at what they got. And he went in there and took a look at it and came back. And shortly after, I was called down to the company Gunny's office to be a chaser. And then we kind of got the full story. The uh, fire team leader, the senior Lance Corporal. I'm going to pause you for one second. Yes, sir. For those that don't know, chasers are people who escort arrestees uh, to and from places to make sure that they don't get cell phones and things like that. And to guard them. Um while they're moving from one place to another so that the MPs don't have to be tied up doing it. Okay. Yes, sir. Usually a command representative is their prisoner escort. You know, yeah, that was to, a chaser. It's a babysitter. Yeah. Yes. Um so come to find out that these two Marines went out in town uh to a local bar. Actually they went to Naha to a bar. Um one of them was sitting at the bar, you know, mom and son, you know, my, my shoulder's a little sore. Why don't you give me a massage? So this little old lady walked around the corner and started giving him an, a shoulder massage. The other Marine walked up behind her and got her in a, uh, what is it, a rear naked choke? Okay, oh my and, gosh, no. And, and, and choked her out. 
Fuck. As she started coming to, he he punched her in the eye socket and and crushed her eye socket. They what they the grabbed fuck? they grabbed the cash that they could out of the bar, and they left, got into a cab, and they talked about it on the way back to Hanson, not thinking that the uh, cab driver spoke English. So Ugh. once everything was reported out in town and they secured the footage from a nearby convenience store where they went in and bought cigarettes and then the camera from the, uh, from the bar, you know, they were kind of, kind of screwed, but myself and one other Marine had to go to the brig on Hanson, pick them up and take them to the Naha district attorney every day for about a month while they pleaded their case to a translator. And, uh, it seemed the more money you give, the sorrier you are. You know, one of the Marines, his, as I understand it, his grandparents, you know, took out a second mortgage on their home, sold their truck to, to pay this woman. The other Holy Marine fuck. was like, no, I need my money when I get out. I'm not giving you shit. So. I guess that was the one that punched her. That was the one that got the massage. The one that punched her, he, he paid all sorts of money. To, oh, shit, Really? to uh to try and get out of it and it, it bought him a year one i believe one got eight years hard labor in naha penitentiary the other one got seven <clears throat> years and i think you only got a a scoop of rice and a fish head every well, day <clears throat> double jeopardy does exist in the military in the ucmj once you serve your time out in town you then go to military custody and serve out another sentence i don't i don't know if they did or not um i know they're out now i mean this was okay. back in 96 um God i believe they were part of um if you were in okinawa around the time they got out i think that they were part of the sofa briefs that were being given to the marines as they were coming over um but yeah and even the last the last day we chased them I mean, the, the, the document that we had to sign, signing them over to Japanese custody, I mean, it had a laundry list of signatures, you know, signing over these two military members uh, to Japanese custody. And, Man. I mean, I'm, I'm like 5'10", and I couldn't stand up straight in these cells or lay out flat. I mean, they're, they, they keep them cramped. So that was probably one of the craziest experiences that I had there um, as far as the deployment goes. Eight years for busting a woman's eye socket. I mean, she was a sixty-year-old woman. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm like. I'm. It's just to other people, they will find it shocking. I think because, and I heard this said recently, so I'm going to kind of quote or paraphrase somebody else. In this country, we're not used to criminals paying a real price for their crimes, right? So no, when no. I hear that, I'm like, that's like, yeah, like. You're, you know, this is what the way it should be. Your prison is not fun. There's no cable TV. You're going to do hard labor. You're going to do hard time and you're not going to ever want to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus I, Christ. That's, that's why that was, yeah, that, that kind of put a, a tarnish on the deployment. And I mean, I looked up to those Marines, you know, I, I learned a lot from them up to that point. I, I don't know what provoked them, what, I don't know. And neither one of them drank either. And that was kind of the shocking part is neither one of them were drunk. It was, it was a, a sober decision, but that's I don't scary. know where it spawned from. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's even in a way so, that's even harder because you want to know like what caused these guys, you, you don't want to think that they just 
were like this the whole time and you were looking mm-hmm. up to freaking lunatics, but it, you, you, there has, you want to feel like there has to be a reason. Right. And, and I'll go for it. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm just listening. <clears throat> I was going to say, <clears throat> there was this kid in my unit and he was this dorky looking nerd looking kid. And he ended up printing a bunch of money. Right on a fucking inkjet printer and then went to the base PX in courthouse Bay to buy booze and other shit and got fucking pinched <clears throat> and CIS rolls up on him and fucking arrests him. He ends up having to serve out, I don't know, like six months, eight months at the brig on, on Lejeune uh, before he gets dishonorably discharged. And then they send him back to us and we chased him while he was in and then they sent him back to us and then we had to basically babysit him. He got mm-hmm. busted down. He was on fucking restriction, uh, maxed out with everything. And so I was like chatting him up. And I was like, hey, man, like, what the fuck? What happened? How was it in the brig? Yada, yada. He's like, you know, the craziest thing? Because he, he had to issue an apology. He's like, I- I'm really sorry for what I did. And he's like, the craziest fucking thing is there. As I was in the brig and I was fucking uh, like cellmates or some shit or fucking talking to some dude who was, um, uh, CO for a unit and he got pinched on heroin and the the biggest thing that I learned is that from from this interview that basically this shithead did talking to this um, basically lieutenant lieutenant told him he goes look man he goes I'm a marine I'm good at what I do but I was a heroin addict well before I came into the marine corps Oh, and I yeah. continued to be a heroin addict the whole time I was here. I just got caught. Yeah. So these kids were probably criminals long before they came in and just didn't ever stop. They just saw an opportunity and a weak target and took it. Well, if you guys want to trip out even further, uh, I just looked it up to get an idea of what you're talking about. And, uh, Okinawa prison is now a hotel and you can book a stay in Okinawa prison complete with bars and cots and uh, chain link and concrete and then five-star dining and chandeliers. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I have heard even back in, back in the nineties, you could be at the armory and you would hear the, uh, the locals outside protesting, go home, GI, GI, go home. You know, we've been there since World War II yeah. and they're still protesting for us to leave. And I've even back then we heard that the Americans were going to give, you know, give up the bases there, make the camps, colleges, um, whatever. But I don't, it took a lot of lives to take that land and we have it for a reason. I don't see us giving it up anytime soon. I mean, no. there's a reason why Japan's not allowed to have an army or a navy anymore. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, Same thing with Germany. All right. We told those people, you know what? We'll do it for you from now on. You can you can just stop. <laughs> you were you yeah. said you were in tracks. Were you down at Del Mar, Chuck? So I did my school in Del Mar. Um and I had a few friends that were in the schoolhouse down there. So I did my time in Del Mar. <clears throat> stayed at the uh, fucking squad base down there while I was in school. And then from Del Mar, yeah. I went to uh, Camp Lejeune. Do you remember the uh, the big clamshells, the the boathouse right behind uh, Yaya's? 
it was right in the bay. Two big white okay, yeah, yeah. tents that look like clamshells. That was the uh, first Marine Division boat maintenance yeah. facility. I used to work there as a as a boat mechanic, right right behind really? the tracks. Yeah. So I you had mentioned that a few times that you were tracks. So I'm like, oh, I spent quite a few years on Del Mar working on boats there during the same years. Uh, I was there in '98, '99. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> no. Chuck was not even in high school yet. I don't think. Shit has changed. Uh, shit has well changed in the base, but that area has gotten some new barracks and stuff. But the the ramp where all the tracks are, the fucking exact same. You see it from the freeway every time I drive down there, and I get to show my kids. Hey, I was in school there, <laughs> and then I, I tell them that. the story about how my buddy passed down there. But <clears throat> you tell your but kids yeah. that story. Yeah. Hmm. All right. One they know the... they know all the crazy shit. I wanted them to know this shit. I want them to know well, the, I, the hard truths. I know. I just i I want my kids to know hard truths too. I just the age was the thing. I I just waited until uh, my kids were older. I just didn't want to. I mean, this was recent. <laughs> you know, like last couple of years, last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, one of the other stories I was going to mention, and I, I was hoping to save it for a locker room, but I kind of got into Okinawa. We had a um. Uh, a state platoon was what they call like a like a QRF platoon. And let me back up my my second deployment to Iraq that I'm sorry uh, Okinawa that I did. I got the chicken pox right before we deployed, and I I missed the movement. So everyone flew over there, and they all went on ship and were doing some USOC training. And I got there, and the state platoon or the QRF platoon was in the rear. And they were doing some uh, helo, fast roping, uh, building clearings and stuff like that, yeah, training, getting ready stuff. to go to Guam. <laughs> and they they had all this new high-speed gear at the time, you know, flight suits and these new tactical slings that when you let go of your rifle and you go to grab your sidearm, the rifle is supposed to sort of send itself back to your hip. And oh, yeah, that shit never works. As, and they were supposed to fast rope onto the top of a building and clear down. And then meet the helicopter somewhere else and then fly back to Hanson. And I was back at Hanson when, when they came back. And one of the Marines was walking up and he was kind of limping. And then he hit, he hit the light of one of the street, street posts, lamp posts. And the back of his flight suit was covered in blood. And what had happened was, as he fast roped out of the helicopter, his sling broke and the weapon landed on the buttstock just as he came down the rope and he took that M16 uh, into, into his rectum to the front uh, sight post oh, and fell off of oh, it. No. He picked no. up the rifle and he cleared the building and he got back on the helicopter. And he brought it all the way back to Hanson until someone had seen that he had blood on the back of his flight suit. And he spent the rest of the deployment in a Japanese hospital. Uh, I think around the fifth or maybe even towards the sixth month, right before we were getting ready to come back. Oh, God. You know, he, was, he was back in the barracks. I, I, I think he had a colostomy bag, um, but he was on crutches. That was probably one of the worst training accidents Ooh. that I had seen a, a Marine survive was, was taking an M16 up the ass to the front sight post. Oh, my I, God. Oh. 
that makes that losing a finger. Me. Yeah, that makes losing a finger in a navy ship not seem so bad. I don't. No, I, okay, I'm gonna say I'd rather ha- take a rifle up the ass than lose a finger. I mean, I, the rifle up the ass you can you, you can recover oh, bro, from. It's cost me back it though. Cost depends on the caliber. Yeah, I mean, yeah right. That's true. Uh, it's, we're talking about a Barrett. Fifty maybe. right up your butt. <laughs> yeah, but especially but with those happened. compensators. Yeah, Although I know was, a few girls on OnlyFans that could probably do it without batting an eyelash, I'm sure. Yeah, I'd use the butt stock. God, oh, good thing he I didn't shave down his sear and it didn't and it didn't bump fire right into Does he was he just yeah. was it adrenaline? He just didn't feel like he's I, like, I, Oh yeah, I hurt myself, but eh. it had it had to have been. You know, the, the adrenaline of, of the raid, the the shock of the injury. Um I, I can't explain it. I just when he came back, everyone was just in shock and awe that it, that he he completed the mission without without stopping it, you know. Hey, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. You know, he he completed it. It was pretty impressive. But man, you know, I would be like, hey, can I keep this flash hider forever? <laughs> but just, I'd say the the last thing I wanted to share before we start wrapping it up was was back in Iraq, and and we were in our our last. I guess stronghold uh, Al Diwania. I think we all called it Ad Al Diarrhea. That's where everyone. <laughs> that's where all the burn pits were. The burn pit exposure kind of started. An old Iraqi army base. And when we first got there, I was tasked to go out in town and find a source of daily purchases. Find where we can get whatever cleaning supplies to clean the base we were on. And while I'm out there with this major and a and a corporal with I don't know. Fifty, hundred thousand dollars in cash in a backpack. Oh, this this gentleman walks up to me. He's like, "What do you need?" And I explained to him, I, "I need supplies." He's like, "I can get you whatever you need." And eventually, we put a bag on this guy's head. We take him onto the base. Explain to him what we need. Okay, I can do that for you. So the next day, or maybe a couple of days go by, and I go out there with a Humvee and a trailer, and he's got everything we needed: styrofoam coolers, kiddie pools, fly bait, bleach, brooms, mops, everything we could. All the dollar store stuff, you know. But he got us everything on the list. And I'm like, hey, can you get soda? Can you get ice? So every day after that, I would go out in town and park my vehicle, back my my vehicle into this little alleyway, so I could get out. And his van would pull up. And we would load up cases of soda and big blocks of ice. I'd pay him and we'd leave. And I'd go back and deliver cold soda to the unit. And something came down from division that individual units were not allowed to go out in town and make daily purchases. Well, I kept going out there until one day uh, these division MPs had come up and specifically looking for me. And once I identified myself to them, they escorted me back the division headquarters and I was sitting in there um, not really nervous because my command knew I was out there doing it. Um, but while I was sitting there waiting, I had asked one of the admin guys, Hey, can I use your, your landline? And I, I called back over to second LAR and asked for the Colonel, but the adjutant had answered the phone. Why do you need to talk to the Colonel? What do you need? Well, I'm, I was detained and I'm at division headquarters and I could really use his assistance. And about 15 minutes later, the, the colonel walked in with his, his boots untied, unbloused, his shirt untucked, his, <laughs> his leather shoulder holster just kind of swinging on him with his pistol swinging. And he walked in, looked at me and goes, let's go. 
Yes, sir. <laughs> I got up and I, I followed him out of division and we went back to battalion. And the next day, uh, someone had said, hey, Colonel Ray wants to see you. And I went on like, yes, sir. He said, are you making a soda run today? And I was like, I didn't think I could. He goes, good, because I need a case of Sprite. <laughs> and he handed me a $10 bill and I made daily purchases the rest of the time we were out there. That's awesome. That's but it was, it was. That's the difference between what, you know, the brass says and what the commanders in the field say. Yeah. I mean, that, that goes back to, to Colonel Ray's leadership and the kind of Marine he was, you know, it was, he was more concerned about the morale of his unit than any division policy. Yeah. And nice. for good reason. That's awesome. Well, I, I I love that stuff. This see sometimes the morale stories we get so much like doom and death and destruction and heartache and sometimes just the morale stories are awesome. I mean, Absolutely. it's not awesome to hear somebody keistering an M sixteen. That's one hell of a way to try and sneak a gun off base. But <laughs> you know what? For 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 a military, even uh, one warm meal in thirty days is is morale. You know, that, that'll yeah. boost the spirits of a unit, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. 100%. Well, I, I know uh, normally uh, our guests pick the dedication, but I think this week you had said uh, you do not have one, and Chuck does. We have a listener dedication, correct, Chuck? <clears throat> correct. Uh, Kevin wrote in, <clears throat> and he goes, I have a favor to ask. I have a good friend, Sean Sluganowski who was shot and killed answering a domestic disturbance call. He recently joined the McKeesport Police Department. I went, okay. So I researched it, and <clears throat> this goes out to Officer Sean L. Sluganowski. Sean L. Sluganowski, police officer, was shot and killed while responding to a domestic situation at the 1300 block of Grandview Avenue in McKeesport. The subject's mother called 911, reporting that her son was having... A PTSD episode and was being aggressive. Officer Sluganowski and another officer and another officer arrived on the scene and attempted to contact the man as he was walking away. The subject produced a handgun and opened fire, wounding both officers. The subject was shot in the leg by a returning gunfire and then fled to a nearby convenience store, where he exchanged shots with a third officer before being taken into custody. Officer Sluganowski was taken to a local hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. The other officer was critically wounded and flown to a trauma center. The subject was charged with criminal homicide, aggravated assault, and assaulting a law enforcement officer, and criminal attempt, attempted murder of a law enforcement officer. Officer, officer Sluganowski had served at the McKeesport Police Department for three years and previously served with the, I'm going to butcher this, the Chalario Regional Police Department. He is survived by his fiance and infant daughter. He was 32 years old. His tour was eight years and one month. His badge number was 300. And uh, one of the worst things about that story is the phrase taken into custody. Yeah. I'll just say it. Um, this, and you want to do dirty business, you ought to get dealt with, but that's just my personal opinion. And I can say that cause I'm retired, but, uh, I would not want to be doing the job. I, I mean, think about it. Would you want to be going back under the current regime to like, I, I wouldn't want to be a cop right now. I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know if you guys would want to be Marines under what's going on right now. It's just, <clears throat> um, 
it's bittersweet. So like a double-edged sword for me, I'm, I'm like, uh, I just wish I could wake up one morning and my injuries were better and my back felt good and I didn't have any more spasms well, yeah. and I could, you know, bend down. I could go back to work, even though I know that it's not the same. You, you're not able to do yeah. police work like you once were able to. Right. And as for the Marine Corps thing, you know, I still miss being a Marine. I am I'm always going to be a Marine, but I still miss, you know, um, you miss the camaraderie. You daily, miss the, the daily grind. Yeah. 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 yeah you the, don't, I mean, but, but that's the thing. Yeah, I miss the cops. Do. I miss the cops, but I don't, yeah, I don't true. think I could do what police work has become anymore. That's, that's why I, I like, I like where I work now because I, I, I get random hurrahs and Semper Fies and right. You know, even random like uh, just grunts in the hallway. I yeah. know what they you're, mean. I know you're doing it for the people, mean. for the boys. Yeah. Yeah. So. Every day. Well, again, thanks for coming back on. And uh, we appreciate you and uh, sharing some of those stories. And um, check how can they reach us? Well, thank you for all today for listening. If you like today's podcast, please go and follow us on our Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us, please share our post and our info when we post it. Uh, you can also go to the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials, our media, and our website. Our podcast is on all major podcasting platforms, as well as on our YouTube. If you want to support us, please go to www.warstoriesofficial.com. We still have some gear. If you want to be featured on the show or if you think you have a story you want to share, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com. Again, that is booking.warstories at gmail.com. And send me your story and I can get you booked. We are looking for law enforcement, production, dispatchers, fire, medics, and veterans, and active duty um, military as well as uh, those who are on the front lines in the ER, such as doctors, um, anyone who works in the ER uh, who deals with patients and things like that and has seen some crazy stuff and, uh, and nurses. Uh, if you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us and uh, give them our booking email. Again, thank you for the support and stay safe. Yeah, and until our next episode, come home with your shield or all right.